Welcome to Thrive Church Online. We are here to know God, to grow in Him, and go. We hope you feel encouraged and equipped through this week's message. We kind of faked some of y'all out. We, we let some of you sit, and we started worship again. Um, isn't that that awkward moment where you're not sure if you're supposed to stand or sit, or you're like, what are y'all doing up there? Christian calisthenics, just checking, checking your reflexes, spiritual reflexes out. But this morning, I brought uh, my good old Stanley. And so I drink coffee all day on Sunday. Till we get done at church, um, I don't stop. Uh, ministry is fueled on Jesus and coffee. Don't try to sneak that decaf stuff in on me. That's like sugar-free. Keep it. I just won't eat it. Um, I've been on a diet for a minute, and uh, my, we, we've tried some sugar. I don't like sugar-free stuff. I like the real stuff. If I'm going to eat it, I want to pay for it. it. Yeah, it's like, anyway. Because you can, but here's the thing. I think you can always taste the real. So, but I, I think for me, for me, I can taste the real and I can taste the fake, right? Like, I can, don't try. So I used to have a grandmother. Uh, she's gone on to be with the Lord now. Uh, but she used to try to sneak stuff in on me. Uh, and this was like before artificial sweeteners got a little better. But anybody remember, uh, what's the pink one, sweet and low? So, <laughs> like this kills laboratory rats. I'm like, no, it doesn't kill them. They killed themselves. They knew they, that you were serving this stuff to them so often, they just gave up. They were just like, let's just, hey, Fred, let's just end it right here. We don't have any. Um, so I, I can taste the real. And I, and I think um, I think what goes with that is is things of God, people can taste the real. I think if you try to manufacture something that looks like Jesus but isn't Jesus, people can spot it a mile away. And um, I think that people are less concerned about following something that, that looks spiritual. I think they're more concerned about following something that is spiritual. Like, I can deal with following and being around imperfect people as long as they really have a heart after God. Because just because you have a heart after God does not make you perfect. It just makes you in process. And I think what this world needs, everybody talks about what we need. And uh, I've been on this journey. Um, so I talked to, I called this, um, uh, so last Sunday our church had the ability, we impacted 331 people. We had nine people give their life to Jesus. Seven people sign up for baptism. Great Sunday. Um, so I was on a bunch of Zoom calls with pastors all over the country. And they all ask me the same question, you know, tell me what God did on Easter. And I'm like, here's what God did, yay. And then they're like, so what are you looking forward to God doing this week? And I said, here's the reality. I've been a pastor my whole life. Like, it's the only thing for a job I've ever really done. So I'm, good. I'm like a one-trick pony. This is all, what you see is what you get. This is all I'm good at. And I said, here's historically what happens in the church. Easter Sunday, blows up. Then I call this Humble Sunday. Because generally what happens is it's the Sunday after Easter across the nation. It is the lowest attended church weekend on the calendar. And I think the reason that is, is God doesn't want pastors to get real patting themselves on the back about what they're doing, right? Um, so, which we've got great crowds today and I appreciate that. But um, in these conversations, I talked with a guy named Pastor Bo from Church on a Hill in uh, Missouri and uh, uh we were talking and and I just we were talking about vision and he said, Man, I just want to make Jesus famous. And I heard that and I kind of got a little I love the dude, right? Like he loves Jesus like nobody's business. But I'm like, Jesus is already famous. And then that morning I woke up at 4 30 and the Lord was speaking to me and he said, Man, what does it look like for you to make me famous? And I really started wrestling with that because um I don't think what Pastor Bo was trying to say was we have to make Jesus famous because he's not, but I think it's about introducing people to this famous guy named Jesus that makes him more famous. And my job is just, I mean, no offense, you, I don't care if anybody ever knows who I am. I want them to know who Jesus is. Like, I want, I want you to experience, I, I'm okay being some pastor you met on the journey. But what I want you to say is, man, but I met this guy named Jesus. And he absolutely train wrecked my life in a good way. Like he just, he messed me up. So, so for three or four days in a row, 4.30 every morning I wake up asking this question, 
like, how, Jesus, how do I make you famous? So I went Friday to get my haircut. Don't laugh. Every two weeks I get my haircut. Um, it's a thing. It's, it's another girl thing that I do. Don't ask. Um, I still have my man card, but I get to do it. So uh, I, I had on my, my green um, uh, Thrive shirt because I wear whatever's on top of the clean clothes stack. So like if it's the, I've worn that shirt. Like if you've met with me, I think I wore it three times this week. It was clean every time. But if it's on top, I'm going to wear it if it's clean and, and not wrinkled. And so I come out of the, I hear this guy talking. He, he's a brother and, and, and he's got this uh, F-250 long bed. But it's got rims with like three inch tires on it. And I'm like, okay, what's, what's up with this? And I hear him talking to his barber and he said, yeah, it cost me $1,200. But I had my favorite scripture uh, engraved in all my rims. And he had John 3.16 engraved in his rims. And I'm like, come on. So I'm walking out, but I really don't know him. So I wasn't going to talk to him, which is, I know it's weird. I had stuff to do that day. And he goes, hey man, can I ask you a question? And I turned around and said, absolutely. And he goes, where's your, where's your church at? I see you're wearing a church thing. So I told him where we were at. And, uh, and then he said, well, hey, are black people welcome? And I said, well, hold on. No, that sounds like it. We're in the South. You have black churches and white churches. We like a coffee creamer church. We just we pour a whole bunch of stuff in there. We got some cinnamon that comes. We got a couple of people that are that are from Cuban Latin American descent. Uh, and I said, well, I sure do hope so. I said because our our student leader and our twentieth leader uh, are also the, the worship leader's husband is a black guy. And if we don't let him in the church, that's going to look real weird those nights when the kids show up. And I'm like, but besides that, like. Like last service, we had several people of color in, and, and we've got people in this service from different different backgrounds and different heritage. I'm like, man, here's the thing. I don't care what you look like on the outside. I care about what you look like on the inside. That's all Jesus ever cared about. There were black people and, and Middle East, Eastern people, and I'm sure some, somewhere we threw an Irish person, I don't know, in there just just because Jesus loves different colors. I mean, like, like and I think that, that far too long the church has looked externally at people rather than looking at internally. And so um, I said, look, man, why don't you come to church? Here's what I want you to do. When you show up, I want you to sit on the front row with my wife because I want you to know not only are you welcome here, but you're my guest. And um, then I had a guy the next day with critical, he uh, has a, a long-term health condition and we were talking about Jesus. And I just began to speak Jesus into his life when I hung up um, and into both of those conversations. I was like, Jesus, I just want to make you famous in these people's lives. Because the, the brother who stopped me said, I, my dad was a pastor, but I've wandered away and I'm not right. I'm not where I'm supposed to be with the Lord. And I said, brother, grab my hand and we'll, I'll connect you with some men and we'll make sure that we hold you accountable and get you where you're trying to go. Because we love you and we want you to love Jesus. And we don't need you to be perfect. We just need you to show up. But you ain't going to get any better at Jesus at your house. You get a bunch of, uh, among a bunch of brothers and sisters in the faith, you, you, you get better. Sometimes you get better by default. I, I'm not handy. At all. Ask Travis. When we built this stage, they, they literally, I became the guy, just hand me this. Can you, can you give me a drink of water? I think they sent me on errands to find stuff, like board stretchers. Uh, just so I would stop. There's not a board stretcher if you don't know. Um, because I looked for it. No, I'm just kidding. I did. <laughs> but here's the thing. The longer we work together, the better I get. Because if you hang around handy people, you become handy. You hang around, you hang around athletes, you, you will become more athletic. You hang around Christians, you will become more Christ-like. So I've been on this journey of uh, how to make Jesus famous. Because like today we're doing two things. We're doing baptism, which I think makes Jesus famous because that's people's public profession of faith. Uh, baptism doesn't save you. It's, it's after you give your life to Jesus. It's a public profession of the old me is dying in this tank. And when I come up, I come up a new creation. doesn't mean I'm perfect. It just means I'm, I'm telling all y'all I'm, I'm one of His now. And this is the direction I'm going. So I think, I think that makes Jesus famous. And then the other thing that we're doing is we're, we're, we're doing the giving to grow. We're, 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 we're sowing seed into something um, that we don't know what, it, what it's going to look like. People say, well, where are we? Because our vision, if you're new, is, is we're going to plant a second location. Uh, I love this church. I love churches that are small enough where you can be connected. I think there's something about being able to walk in and go, I know everybody here. And so we've got some folks going through ordination, and we're going to, we're just, when the time's right, and 
I don't know when that is. The Lord's showing us. I believe it's going to be the next 12 months. We're going to plan another location, and we're going to do exactly there what we do here, and we're going to change lives and see people impacted, and we're going to we're going to make Jesus famous. And but but yeah, you can clap for that if you want to, um, both of you. If everybody clapped, I would feel better because here's the point of it. The point of all this is to make Jesus famous, not. Does that make sense? I, I told a guy who visited with us the first time, I said, man, he visited the first time for first service. I said, bro, I hope you love service, but if this isn't the church for you, let me know and I'll help you. I know every pastor in Almance County. I've got their cell phone number. You tell me what you need and I'll, I'll plug you into it because I don't care about Thrive being famous. I care about God being famous. So uh, people say, well, well, where are we going and what are we doing? I don't know. I just feel God stirring me towards the next chapter of our ministry and, and we have to prepare for it. And if you wait to get there to prepare... Like nobody goes on vacation and then decides to pack a suitcase. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to do what I do, what my wife does every time we travel. You get to the end of the trip and you make this statement. My gosh, I packed too many clothes. Any women in the house? Dude, let me tell you something. When I pack, I can pack on a travel. I can pack on a carry-on because I wear the same pair of shorts two or three days on vacation because I don't care what I smell like. I, <laughs> that's the reason you don't go on vacation with me. I'm just saying. Somebody said we do. I'm like, look here. I've like got the cologne on. I'm right on my vacation. I don't care. I will get up when I get up. I will go to bed when I'm tired. I will eat things that make people with arterial problems scream in pain because the rest of my life I'm going to do it I'm going to do it right that is that is my vacation I will vacate what is normal now here's what I can't do one time I made the mistake of saying this I'm not going to you know what I'm not doing any ministry on this whole trip oh man God's got a sense of humor I sat down in a lounge chair my wife will remember this away from everybody we were in the off season nobody was at the we we shared a condo with some friends at, at the time. And I went to the far end. Put my, If you see somebody with headphones in the earbuds, it means they don't want to talk to you. I literally, when I used to fly a lot, I would put them in and then plug the cord in my pocket. And the stewardess would come by and go, sir, you can't have electronic devices on this. And I'd go, it's in my pocket. She's like, is that a, is that a what is it, iPod shuffle? No, it's in my pocket. I'm listening to my pocket. It's my way of telling the other three freaks on this row, I don't want to talk to you. So I'm sitting in a lounge chair in the beach. You know what I'm talking about. There's just times you're like, anybody, I never get the cool people beside me on the airplane. I get the guy where I don't know what in the world he's talking about. And so I'm sitting there and um, I'm at the beach and I sit there and this, this guy sat down beside me and he's, oh. can't hear you. God, no. No, I'm not. God, I'm not. I'm not. The fourth time he did it, I finally, I give up. I said, man, you good? Man, you ever just feel like your marriage is falling apart? Man, I got a question for you. What's your marriage based on? Because, dude, if it's based on you, you are going to jack your marriage up. Well, what are you talking about? Well, let's talk about Jesus. For four hours, I sat in the black, I sunburned myself telling some dude how to save his marriage and about Jesus, all because I decided I didn't want to. Because here's what I figured out your call and my call in life is just to tell people about Jesus. We don't have it. You can off. The season where you wear fresh clothes or eat right or go to the gym. But the thing you can't change about your DNA is your relationship with Jesus. And I think today we're having a conversation about, man, what does your DNA with Jesus really look like? And I, I'm going to take you on a journey. It's Luke chapter 7, 36 through 50. I'm going to go kind of quick. Um, verse 36 says this, one of the Pharisees, uh, asked Jesus, him, being Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house um, and reclined at his table. Uh, I love that this is the story of the alabaster box. 
But I love that, that, the, that the Gospels kind of share this story from different perspectives. And people try to say that it happened more than once, but Jesus wouldn't need to be prepared for burial more than once. And, and there are all these reasons why it's not right. But the Pharisee that he's talking to is actually, uh, in Matthew chapter 29, also referred to as a leper. So he had COVID. Um, so, so if you think about it, anybody remember the days of COVID when, um, when like, not only were you supposed to quarantine, you're supposed to, like, wrap in bubble wrap and, like, shoot yourself off to space. I mean, we really thought about, like, killing people just because you had COVID, right? Uh, so that you didn't infect the rest of us. I felt like it was one of those walking dead kind of moments. Um, but but I, I sit there and I'm like, leprosy would, would repel you from the presence of people. But being a Pharisee, a, a teacher of the law, um, because they were so religious, would propel you away from Jesus. And Jesus is sitting down with a guy who's got two strikes. He's been a leper. And he's a Pharisee. And it dawned on me when I read this that a lot of times we don't think we have the right to sit down with Jesus because of who and what we were. Because of the mistakes, because of the failures we have in our life, we don't feel like we're worthy to sit down at a table with Jesus. Verse 37 says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Wow, there's a roll in. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Like, that's what she's known by. Your claim to fame is that you're a sinner. <laughs> Isn't it funny how people want to label us based on our past? Now, it, most people would agree that 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 this is the same Mary of Mary and Martha. Uh, the same Mary and Martha who had a brother named Lazarus. Lazarus, of course, was, was rose from the dead by Jesus. The, the shortest scripture in, in the Bible, Jesus wept. That, that Mary is probably who we're talking about. It said, Behold the woman um, of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at, Fer at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now here's the thing, I want you to notice something that that can we pause this story just for a second? Because I, I kind of want to go back to who Mary is. If you don't know the story of Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha are two sisters who entertain Jesus. And, and so Martha's in there and she's baking, I don't know, but she's Italian. I don't know. She's an Italian Jew. I don't like, let's just, and she's back making pizza. And so she's in there working her tail off to like take care of everybody. But Mary is in there sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening and being taught and asking questions. All the things that women weren't supposed to do in that time frame because of the culture. Like it was men folk and then women folk. Think little house on the prairie. Well, the difference is, is they'd stone you if you did it. But Jesus was like, look, I want everybody who wants to learn to come and sit at my feet. Well, Martha comes in and she throws this like hissy fit and she's like, can you believe my sister Mary's in there and she's sitting at your feet and she's she's not in here helping me? Anybody remember the Rice Krispie commercial where the mom's in there watching her her tablet and the Rice Krispies are making? And then right before she takes them out, she throws flour in her face and then some water and she's like, oh. So I think Martha was a little melodramatic like that. She's like, I made all these oodles of noodles all for you all and my Mary didn't do anything. And Jesus says this. Jesus said, you know what, you can always have oodles and noodles. But you're not always going to have me. And he said, as a matter of fact, I think Mary chose the best thing. Because she chose me over her own flesh. She chose me over her hunger. She chose, she chose to keep her proximity with me close, even though being close to me made her uncomfortable. And so today I sit there and I wonder, when you, when you look at, at, at the Pharisee who has Jesus in his house, the presence of Jesus had to make him uncomfortable. But then you see Mary who was known as a sinner. In a minute Jesus is going to say, for she has sinned much. She's good at it. She's a heathen. She's got a past. He said, but the one thing that Mary is good at is Mary is good at proximity. And I look at you today, and I look at me today, and I say, man, what if this? What if we stopped worrying about who everybody else called us? And even who we call ourselves? And we really worried about our proximity to Jesus. 
As I, as I was praying this week, the Lord told me this. He said, it's not enough for you to run away from something. Anytime you try to run away from something, you always run back to it. Can I prove it to you? How many times have you made this statement? I'm going to stop filling the blank, right? Whatever your thing is. Like, I'm going to stop cussing, drinking, smoking, chewing, looking at porn, uh, yelling at my kids, griping out my wife. Whatever your thing is, how many times have you told yourself, don't raise your hand or anything, but how many times have you told yourself, I'm going to quit, and you tried to run away from it, and you found yourself right back to it? Because here's what the Lord told me. You can't run away from something. You have to run to something. And here's what I feel like the Lord is telling us today is that you have to run towards Jesus. I, it's okay that I've got these problems in my life, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to change my proximity to get closer to Jesus so that I look more like Jesus. Because here's the thing. Remember in the beginning of this conversation, we talked and I said, hey man, if you hang around with athletes, you're going to be athletic. If you hang around thugs, you're going to become thuggish. Have you ever caught yourself using an ism that a friend uses and it's like not even natural to your vocabulary? I've got a friend that calls people Bo. Bo, come on, Bo. Let's Bo, what are you doing, man? I looked at somebody the other day. I said, come on, Bo. I don't say that. But here's the thing. You are who you hang around. What if you ran towards Jesus so that you look a little bit more like Jesus? And what will happen is you'll start doing Jesus stuff without even thinking about Jesus. It, it, it becomes who you are and what God's making you into. And so what happens is you quit running from something and you start running towards something. Man, but, but how do I know? You, can I show you the, the effort difference? Most people go, I'm trying to be like Jesus. Well, that may be your problem. What if you just try to be around Jesus? Like, man, Jesus, I want to be around you, so I'm going to listen to the stories you tell through your Word. And then the next thing you know, you're getting ready to give somebody the finger unicorn on the interstate, and all of a sudden you're like, you know, I probably don't need to do that. Not because I'm running from being, being this kind of person, but because I, I'm, I'm choosing the proximity to be like this kind of person. Does this make any sense? Like, like if you just move, and so what I see in the lives of these two people is that, is that they're interested in their proximity to Jesus. And then he goes on and he says this. He said, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, which is basically year th worth a year's worth of salary. And here in a minute, she's going to break it open. Now, if you read the gospel, some people say, uh, some of the disciples said, and she poured it from his head down to his feet. And But in this gospel, uh, he said that she just pours it on his feet. And we're going to go into that in just a second. People go, so they get there and and Mary brings this, this super valuable thing to God. And it's in, in her box. You know what the Lord really showed me is that we all have boxes that we want to keep Jesus out of. Mary had this box when Jesus, when she was sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and her sister was making pizza. But she wasn't willing to open it up to Jesus at the time. We all have, we all have these boxes that we want to tell Jesus to keep His hands out of. I guess my question to you today is twofold so far. One, what's your proximity to Jesus? Because I think your proximity to Jesus clearly dictates what you'll bring to Jesus. And I talked to a friend of mine from Texas yesterday, and he said, man, I hate churches and all they ask for is money. And I'm going to be honest with you, we're going to talk about money today because we're doing a giving campaign. We're going to talk about it, and then I'm not going to talk about it for a while. I'm not interested in your money. But Jesus said, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. I think this, that if you treasure this place, you'll invest in it. If you don't, you'll, you'll treat it as ordinary. It, to, to understand honor means you have to define dishonor. Dishonor is when you treat something extraordinary as if it's ordinary. I refuse to treat you or this place like it's ordinary. Man, God is doing something in this place that He's only doing here. I'm not taking anything away from any other church in any other place in the world but I'm saying that God uniquely has His hand on us to do what God uniquely put us on this planet for to make Him famous. And whatever He needs to do through that, He can do. So, she brings this, this, this ointment, this oil. Verse 38, it said, And standing behind Him at His feet, weeping, she began to wet His feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. 
She kissed his feet and anointed them with oil. I think that when proximity and passion meet, lavish love is the byproduct. That worship is the byproduct. I think a lot of times when we say worship, we, 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 we use a constraint of, of our church history. So if you're Baptist, well, then back up. If you're Methodist, this is exuberant. I'm not picking on it. Listen, context does not make it wrong. If you're Baptist, whoo, you broke the box. If you're charismatic, right? You're like, like, like just pick your pick your your expression of that worship. Is one more right or wrong? No, I had somebody ask me one time, he said, What do you think about a flag ministry? One, we don't have the ceilings for it. We'll be poking holes all in this joint. But two, if you want to wave a flag, wave a flag. Like it doesn't hurt. You want to wave a tube sock? I don't care. Like if you're worshiping Jesus, I think we get too involved in what the expression of worship looks like, rather than the passion of worship. Because can I say this? Sometimes I know people who have said I've watched people that sit in the silent presence of God, and and the Lord has has broke their heart and changed their soul from the from the inside out. So never, never mistake what you see to what God is really doing. So this girl comes in and she starts doing something that nobody ever saw. Verse 39, it says, it says now when the Pharisee had, had, uh, who had invited him saw, he said to himself, he's thinking in his head, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what so- sort of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, one, I'm glad he thought it to himself because not everything people think needs to be expressed. But two, never let anybody else assign you a proximity to God. A guy like you don't have, doesn't have any business being near the Father. A person like you can't be saved. A person like you act like that and call yourself a Christian, don't ever let somebody else assign your value and your proximity to Jesus. Because the minute you begin to listen to them, you'll begin to change your seat at the table that God never intended for you to change. I know people that have excused themselves from the table in the presence of the Lord because of a title that somebody else gave them. You have to, you have to let the Lord assign your place at the table. I've sat in front of people I have no business sitting in front of. Like, I've hung out with guys that have 25,000 member churches. And I sat there, and I never will forget one of the first times I ever sat down at a table like that. I had a guy walk up to me, and he just whispered in my ear, and he said, if God seats you at the table, you're good enough to eat. And I never will forget one of the first student events I ever did, big events. I was hanging out with... um, Eddie James, thank you. I blanked on. So Eddie James, famous worship leader, whatever, big brother. Um, I walk in and here I am, nobody from nowhere. And I'm heading up the altar team. Start somewhere, right? And I walk in and I, here's Eddie James. Eddie James eating. It's Eddie James. You call him Mr. James, Reverend James, Pastor James, Mr. Eddie. That sounds weird. Pastor Eddie, DJ. That's all right. Like all this is playing in your head. And my brother sees me coming, and and my friend Chris Star introduces me to him. He goes, "Hey, uh, uh, Eddie, this is this is Adam. Adam pastors and blah blah blah. And and big Eddie James, Eddie James, big dude, man, stands up, walks over, and he wraps his big arms around." Kisses me on the cheek. That's weird. And and I said, man, it's such an honor to meet you. He said, no, 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 no. Will you tell me how to work with you? Because all I'm doing is playing worship. You're going to change kids' lives. With 3,400 kids in the altar that night. But here's the thing. I about assigned my seat at the table at the wrong place. Does this make sense? God can have such a great anointing on you, but because of what other people have whispered in your ear and the things not positive and the things you think sometimes about yourself, sometimes you'll pick yourself up and excuse yourself from a table that God wanted you to sit at. So this lady's sitting there and, and, and this guy's thinking, he's like, 
man, if this if Jesus was really a prophet, know who this was. But here's the thing: you can't let your 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 past dictate your presence. Your presence, not your present. You can't let your past dictate how and where you show up with God at. God sometimes just wants your presence near Him. Because then He'll change your present. But a lot of times what happens is when people feel disconnected with God, the first thing they do is change their proximity, their presence, away from God. Adam and Eve, first sin ever, right? What's the first thing they did? They went and hid, for they were naked. He said, who told you you were naked? Notice this, the first thing that God ever did was cover up their sin. God didn't look at him and go, how could you possibly? Y'all suck. Oh, you've had that internal conversation with yourself. I suck. I, I said I wouldn't yell at my wife and I yelled at my wife. said I wouldn't. Now I did. I suck, man. God can't use me. I'm a horrible dad, father, blah, blah, blah. Fill in the blank, right? What God said was, God walked up and said, well, who told you you were naked? And they said, hey, here's what happened. He said, okay, first thing, let's get some clothes. Let's get you covered up. Because God is always interested in covering up your shortcoming. Never exposing it. Noah builds an ark, puts two of every kind of animal on it, gets on a boat for 40 days with his family. Then he gets off and grows a vineyard, waits on grapes to grow, smashes those grapes, waits on them to ferment, then proceeds to get hammer buck naked drunk. I think he gets a pass because 40 days on a boat with a bunch of animals in my family, I think you get a pass. But now watch. Actually, that's not true. I'm not encouraging that at all. But, but one son walks in and Scripture says, and he looks on his father's nakedness. And he goes back out and he tells every, the brothers about it. And two brothers walk in backwards and cover up their father's nakedness. And the question in that is this. God shows a heart of wanting to cover, atone for shortcoming and sin. Why do, we, why do we excuse ourselves from tables that God wants us to sit at when God's saying, look, you're not going to change from running from it. Only by embracing the presence of God, changing your proximity to my presence, will you, will you abstain from sin. Willpower will not keep you from sin. Somebody need to amen that because you've been, you've been fighting that your whole life trying to be good enough not to sin. You're net, that's, why that's why Jesus exists. You're not good enough. You can't stop. But as you change your proximity, something in you will change and then the action will change. Well, yeah, but I, it's not happening quick enough. It's not supposed to. Going to the gym doesn't change your body quickly. I went into GNC the other week and I said, I just need that one pill that I take one time and it makes me in shape. No gym, no diet change. And the guy's like, man, when I find it, we're both millionaires. I think sometimes God lets things happen progressively because He loves us and wants to develop more than just one little area of our life. So let's go on. So this guy says, man, if Jesus knew who she was, he wouldn't have anything to do with her. I love this. And Jesus, verse 40, and Jesus answered him, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. No, 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 no. You'll dismiss this if you skip through this quick. Because there are parts of our life, remember that box I talked about where we're like, Jesus, you can have everything else but this. What happens when Jesus says, hey, there's a, what, what if he's from Eastern North Carolina? And he goes, hey, Bo, there's something I want to talk to you about. Now, I'll be honest with you, when God starts dealing with my heart, the first thing I want to do is avoid it and act like it ain't Him. You know, I'm thinking God may want me to fill in the blank, right? But I'm not sure it's Him. Ever get people, ever get people say this? I'm just, I'm just fleecing the Lord. I, I, just, I need to make sure it's God before I do it. What if, what if you flip that script and you said, God, if I even think it's you, I'm going to answer. Remember Samuel? You know, hey Samuel. Hey priest, what do you want? Ah, what me? Hey, three times. The third time the man of God looked at him and said, hey, the next time you hear somebody call your name, say, speak Lord, your servant heareth. No, 
let me ask you a question. The next time God that Samuel heard his name whispered, do you think God had to say it three times? Somebody, somebody, some friend of his in the other room goes, Samuel. He's like, speak, Lord. You know why? Because Samuel would have been afraid to miss God a second time. What if you just started saying yes every time you thought it was God? And then if it wasn't God, now let me ask you a question. Are you ever going to get penalized by God by trying to be too much like Him? It's, it's like this. I, I had some guy say, man, I felt like the Lord was calling me to give somebody money. What do you think? And I'm like, well, do you think it was the devil? You know, I'm thinking about just going over and mowing that guy's yard. I don't know, man. I wonder if that's God. Would the devil want you to mow their yard so they had some time off and know somebody loved? Like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, like what if we just started running towards it? We just said, God, I'm going to make my proximity be so close to you that, 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 things, that, that you can say whatever you want to say to me, God. God, if I got something in me, say it. You got something to say to me, just say it. I'm a big boy. I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a great lady. You can say what you want to say to me. I'm not saying I'm going to be able to do it. But say it. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you gave God permission really to say what He needs to say to you? When have you let your proximity be close enough to God that you say, God, you can even have the alabaster box. You can have the thing I'm holding on to that scares me to give up. You got something to say? Say it. Verse 41. This will be 41 through 43. It says, and a certain money lender, he said this. He said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. Now what he really said was, Jesus, say it plain so I don't miss it. Anybody ever been like, Jesus, whatever you're doing, just make sure I don't miss it. Watch what Jesus does. He said, I'm going to say it so plain, let me tell you a story. Let me tell, let me tell you a truth veiled in this weird, like, abstract thought. And he says this. He said, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed... 500 denarii. Let's just call it 500 bucks. He owes him 500 bucks. The other one owed him 50. And when he could not pay the debt, um, when they could not pay the debt, he just canceled both. Now, which one of him loves him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said, you have judged rightly. Here's the thing. Most people that worship and are involved in church are not perfect. They just had such a big debt that was forgiven, it caused more of a response. Does this make sense? If you come to church to be around perfect people, you are in the wrong place. The people that serve the most here generally are have been the most screwed up and potentially are still battling the fact that they're screwed up. But here's what they know. Jesus paid my debt. I don't have to be perfect. I can be a son or a daughter and not act like I'm supposed to. See, we put all of our, our weight on how you act. But if you ever raise a kid, your kids don't always act right. You ever taken a kid out in public and you're like, I don't know what the world happened. You lost your mind. I didn't, I didn't train you to be this way. I didn't talk to you. You, know, you have table manners. You, you say please and thank you. Now you're acting like a brat. You take them to the bathroom. You beat them. You bring them back. Let me ask you a question. Is that still your child? Just, be, just because you had, to, you had to correct them, just because they didn't act right, they never stopped being your son or daughter. Just because you don't act like a son or daughter of God doesn't mean you ever stop being one. It just means you need, to, you need Him to say, say it. You ever looked at your kid and go, boy, don't make me. I don't even have to finish what that is. Or you ever, my dad had an eyebrow. I got it too. You know this one? And man, if they snapped, you were like one second away from here. I'll let you figure out what that is. You ever looked at him and go, what? What? And what you're saying, say it. Just tell me for that. Thing. I just, just tell me what it is. I'll fix it. What if we get to the place where we look at God and say, just say it. Just, just, just be real to us because I have this debt that you can cancel. And I worship not because I've got my life together, but because you're the one who puts my life together. 
and I'm okay being here serving, leading in a church, and struggling. But what if you gave yourself permission to check into the family of God and not be perfect? If you're waiting to get there to get involved, you're going to miss the bus. So anyway, so he goes on, he says this, verse 44, he said this, and then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, I love that he's talking to Simon, but looking at her. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased but to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. What if you love Jesus not because you were good, but because He redeemed you from your wrong? What if, what if, and because I, I think Jesus is saying this, that a lot of times our deep passion for God comes from our deep need from God, for God. What we want to do is be perfect but love a lot. It's not even biblical. God's going, look, look, if you've got a, if you've got a checkered past or even a checkered present, press it into me and let me do something with you because it'll, it'll affect the way you love me. Anybody ever had a spouse have to take care of you? I don't think you're married to both of you have had the stomach flu. Because that's a moment in time you will never forget. If you look at your spouse and say, I love them because they're perfect, you're not, you're not even really married yet. No, 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 I don't mean that bad. Until you've jacked something up almost to the point of, of ruining your marriage, you're not really married. Until somebody's been sick enough that you had to give up normal boundaries of relationship? You're not, until you've had to hold somebody's hair back while they were sick in the toilet, you're not married. But I'll say this in those moments, when you walk through death together as a family, it knits you together. When you walk through sickness together, when you walk through pain, when you walk through financial challenges, that those are the moments where you, where you have to lean on each other and God, those are the moments where those, those deep places are woven together. And that's what God's saying. He's like, he's like look man, when, when, when you are forgiven of so much, you love me on a different level. You'll worship me on a different level. You'll give to me on a different level. You'll become involved with me on a different level. You'll, you'll forgive. You'll, you'll, you'll give grace on a different level. You're not going to be perfect. But keep your proximity close to me. Keep your keep keep in the right here sitting at my feet. Keep kissing me. Keep 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 wiping me with your hair, which is just weird. I don't like feet. And this no 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 like I've never seen pretty feet. Like the people that are like into that, like I don't get it. Uh uh. Uh uh. This lady literally. Is crying on Jesus' feet. Why? Because she, she realizes how much Jesus has forgiven her of. And then she feels like she's made a mess on his feet, so she takes her own hair and begins to clean his feet up. And then she's so in love with Jesus because it would be weird for her to kiss his face because it, it could have been taken as a physical attraction rather than the worship of a Savior. So she takes his feet that have walked in desert grounds. She kisses his feet. She needs him to know that she loves him. And she's so grateful for the forgiveness and the grace. I sit there and I wonder today if this is what really echoes true. I love this in verse 48 through 50. It said, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When you finally relax enough to sit down at the foot of the Father and have enough confidence in His ability to forgive you and to use you and to, and, and to operate in and through your life and for you not to be perfect, that faith will bring you peace. How do you know in your deathbed what's going to happen? 
Because I have faith that if God is God enough to carry me through this life, He's God enough to carry me through death. My proximity to God is way closer than my actions look like sometimes. Does this make any sense? My prayer today is twofold. The first part of my prayer for your life is this, is that I pray today that you don't let somebody else change your proximity, that you choose to be close to Jesus, whatever that looks like. I think it exists on levels. Today, I'm going to have the opportunity to baptize my own dad, which is ridiculous. He was baptized a long time ago, and he's just like, man, I just, is this okay to tell you? He's like, I vaguely remember it, and just as a grown man, I want to make my public profession of faith um, right here. And so I sit there, and I'm like, man, but I could hear the voice in his head that had all these conversations. But, but you know, I lead this, and I, people think this, and they, you know, they're, they're going to assume that, but you know what, never let somebody else and their thoughts assign your, your proximity. So I just wonder today, uh, as we come to close, how many people are kind of wrestling or have been wrestling with where they're at with God? And I just want to pray over you with every head down, every eye closed. Can I just pray, Father, for every person that's wrestled with their proximity to Jesus, God, that, that, that every person that disqualified themselves to sit at tables that you prepared for them to sit at. God, today I ask that you let them see themselves the way that you see them as sons and daughters of God. Father, will you encourage them to run to something, not away from something? God, give them the strength to run towards you, not away from their sin. Because God, you're the only thing that redeems and, and, and calls us out of sin into your marvelous light. Father, if there's something you need to say into our lives, Father, say it and give us the courage to answer what you say. Father, if there are any boxes, any alabaster boxes that we're holding on to, will you give us the courage to open them and pour them out at your feet? If you're here today and say, you know what, Pastor, I'm here, but I'm not where I'm supposed to be with God. I, 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 need, to, I need to give and dedicate my life to God. Will you just slip your hand up? I just, I just want to pray with you and for you. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Can we just all pray together across this building just at, at, at one time? And if you're one of those folks that raised your hand, and I just want to believe that, that, and we do believe that, Romans says this, that if a man believes in his heart, and confesses with his mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, he shall be saved. This is your moment to make that confession. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask You into my heart, forgive me of my sins, my many sins. Make me right with You, and help me draw close to who and what You are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give these folks a round of applause. Huge decision. <laughs> Biggest decision and, uh, that you can ever make because that, that prayer changes your eternity. People ask me, why do, you, why do you do an altar call at the end of every service? I'm like, because people are going to hell. And, and I'm going to give you every... I'm gonna, look, if you were floating down a river lost, I'm going to throw you every rope I can find. Now, if you choose to go over the waterfall and drown, that's on you, but it's not because we, we didn't throw you ropes. So to those that raised their hand today, man... If you will connect with uh, myself, uh, JC, Jay, Pastor Tracy, any of our leaders, uh, we would love to help you. You know, if you don't have a Bible, we'll connect you with that. We'll put you on a Bible app. We'll do devotionals with you. We'll make sure that you're raised up and that you know how to walk um, your faith out. Um, two quick things before I turn the service over. One, I'm excited. Uh, we're going to do baptism today. I'm so jacked about that. Yep. Um, if if you are here and you want to get baptized, we will make it happen. If we've got to go by clothes, we will make sure that you can get baptized um, and we will stay here till it's done. Somebody said, what are you going to do if it rains? I said, get wet. Um, it just is what it is. Look, it, Jesus, Jesus waded out into muddy rivers. I will, it, look, I'm, anyway. Um, so if you would like to do that, uh, we want to make sure. There will be a small transition time. So if you're visiting with us for the first time, we'll have a moment with you, and then we'll immediately begin to transition into that into that moment. If you are being baptized, um, or you're one of the leaders in that, uh, in about five minutes after the close of service, we're going to meet right here on these two rows. Uh, Rick, stick your hand up. Uh, that row and where Pastor Tracy is. 
Uh, and I'm just going to go over some last-minute instructions so you kind of know what's going to happen in the order that we're doing things. Um, and uh, so we'll go over all that. Worship team will be outside or, or a portion thereof uh, leading worship uh, as that moment starts. And then we'll flow one right into another, and it'll be fairly quick. Um, today is a day where we are, we are taking up a, a given-to-grow offering. Uh, it's just a special offering. People ask me all the time, how, how do we do it? Well, you can do it online. There's a drop down for that. It's tithe offering and then special. Um, I think it says given to grow April 15th or whatever, 16th. Um, you can do it in-house. You can do it on, on a tithing envelope. Just be sure to write special. Uh, if you combine it with another check, just be sure to tell us what's what because, because this will go into its own place, right? So it's not being used for like, you know, day in, day. This is for the future. Um, and... But I had a guy come to me, an amazing church, Propel Church, in, uh, right outside of Charlotte, Mount Pleasant, North Carolina, called and said, hey, uh, we're going to write you a $5,000 check. If you could, Whatever you can match up to five k, we're going to write it back to you. And uh, one of the businessmen that attend our church, uh, he called me and said, hey, pastor, can I do this? I can't give $5,000 today. I just, it just doesn't work in my cash flow. And he said, but can I pledge it over a certain amount of time? And I never really thought about that. And uh, I said, yeah. So I was sharing it with my wife. And she's like, well, you know what? I really, we, we had a, an amount that we felt like the Lord had called us to give. And she said, well, what if we extended that and paid, and we have a number, and we just, and I'm like, well, can we afford to do that? She said, probably not. And I said, well, good, let's do it then. No, no, God doesn't always have to make sense. You know, sometimes I need to be stretched. A couple months of, of stretching, that could be good for me. Um, so we're, we're, we want to extend an opportunity for you to say, hey, I may not be able to do X today, but this is something I'd like to do long term. If that is something you'd like to do, if you're online, uh, just email us, amen at thrivechurchonline.com. Just tell us what you want to do. Here's the thing, we don't, we're not going to send the mafia. What happens if you don't do it? Well, we're not going to send like collection agents after you. Like We're not you know, beat you up. and you know, um, It's between you and the Lord. But it does give us an idea of where, we're, where, where and what we can do in the future. If you're here in house and you want to and want to make a pledge, because we honestly this was not even thought about till yesterday, really. Um, just pull out a tithing envelope out of the thing and just put your name on it and say, "Hey, here's what I want to do." Um, and it's between you and the Lord. You do what you, you does. This make sense? Because I think this sometimes we want to break an hour alabaster box, but we need some time to go get it. Well, that's okay. This has never been. Can I be honest? I don't think this part of our journey is about money. I think this part of our journey is about vision. It's about, do we have a heart to go to the next location? So he says, what happens if this doesn't go well? And I'm like, well, then it goes bad. I'm never going to not follow Jesus because I'm afraid. Now, I may need Jesus to pick me up out of the waves, but I'm going to try to walk on water. So as we close, uh, Jay's going to come. Can I just pray one more time before he comes? As the worship team comes on stage, Father, again, I thank You for this opportunity to change the world. God, my heart is to make You famous. God, I ask that in this time and in this place as we prepare to do baptism and all this other stuff, God, that You do what only You can do. God, I just ask that You have Your will and have Your way in our week and in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for being part of our Thrive Tribe. If you want to partner with this ministry and what the Lord is doing here at Thrive, visit thrivechurchonline.com and click on the Give tab. Help us reach more people just like you by rating and subscribing to this podcast. You don't want to miss what's coming next.